Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. O faithful Father, we come before you with thanks written upon our lips and upon our hearts. And we pray, Lord, that we would, as we turn to your word today, that we would seek to be able to understand the false ways which are set before us that you would deal graciously with us and teach us your word. Lord, that we will choose the way of that of the faithful. Lord, that we would set upon our hearts your word and the hope of the gospel. Let us cling to the promises which you have given to us in your word, not to the false promises of this world. Let us not be put to shame. Let us run in the way of your commandments as you enlarge our hearts and set our hearts to be able to glorify you. Pray this in Jesus' blessed and holy name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Jude 8 to 13. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. Yet in like manner, these people, also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious one. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, devil was disputing about the body of Moses, He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by that all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they have walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are like hidden reefs at your love feasts, and they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. As we continue to look through the book of Jude, we're reminded once more that we are in the first half, which Jude spells out what is this false teaching that has crept into the church. These false teachers have come in. And you might say that Jude is pointing out the problem before even turning to the solution of how we are then to be able to positively contend for the faith. In these few short verses, Jude has pointed back to the Old Testament of those who have done this before, these examples and errors of what has happened and has crept into God's people. He's given seven examples of stories that show the outcome of what happens to these false teachers, these false ways. But as he's doing so, he's also teaching us about these false teachings that have crept into the church. Not just these examples that have shown. What happened to those who followed this false teaching? The people who died in the wilderness for their unbelief. The angels who rejected God's authority. The wicked ones who sinned and in the immorality of Sodom and Gomorrah. They blasphemed the glorious ones, the way of Cain, Balaam's error, Korah's rebellion. 
Jude spells out these false teachers and errors. And today, Jude paints for us six pictures of what these false teachers look like. Not from the Old Testament, but images from nature. Now, before we look at these images that he paints for us of these false teachers, I want to unpack a little bit of this idea or this term of false teaching. What does that mean? When we label someone a false teacher, at what point do we say, this is false teaching? What makes someone a false teacher? It all then depends on how you define that term, what you're then looking for. Now, in a way, you might say false teaching is any person who teaches the Bible inaccurately, who does not teach the truths of the Bible, but teaches them incorrectly, inaccurately. Now, in this broad category... In this black and white approach, you might say. And if this is the definition that we use, then if we're truthful, then all of us would be categorized as false teachers of some degree or uh, another. If that's your definition, then you've got a very broad limit, but you also have no false teachers. Now, I know for myself that I've even taught things But once later down the road, I have come to interpret that Bible passage in a different light. So in one way, I've taught the Bible incorrectly from how I understand it, but as time goes on, I have transitioned my view. Now, these are not major doctrinal issues. But if I find myself that I've taught in a certain way and then have changed my position because of the Word of God has convicted me another way. I cannot be correct in both aspects. It is either one is true, or the other is true. There is no in middle ground. So then, therefore, I would be classified as a false teacher. Now, we need to understand that we do seek to be able to teach the Bible faithfully and truthfully as it is taught to us. There are some things that are hard to understand and interpret. Even Peter says this of Paul's teaching. We go to the Scripture to help us interpret the Scripture. But it's not helpful, then everyone is a false teacher. And what you're actually doing is you're labeling everyone a false teacher. And we can't move past where the important things might lie. How someone understands the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, whether it's a Christophany or a Theophany. You might say is secondary issues compared to what you might say are the fundamentals of the faith. Someone who denies the resurrection of Jesus Christ is much different from those of their interpretation of the sons of men in Genesis chapter 6. So we are all sinful and we cannot assume that we as sinful men and women interpret the Bible perfectly. So then what would a biblical definition of false teaching be? First, we must understand that false teaching has to be opposite to what we call true teaching. Or as Jude points out here, that he says we're to contend for the faith that is once delivered to all the saints. 
Your false teaching is set diametrically opposed to that true teaching of that faith that has been handed down through the saints. The false teaching is dependent on there is such thing as true teaching, true doctrine. But false teaching is then in relationship to that true doctrine. And what it seeks to do is distort, deny, or depart from this true teaching. Distort, deny, or depart from this true teaching. When we speak of this, we generally refer to this in not every aspect of the Bible, as we pointed out before, the sons of men in Genesis 6. But doctrines found in the Bible. Although we should seek to search the Scriptures and see as it's true, as Bereans do, we seek to be able to see what is consistent with the Word of God. I think a helpful tool when we think about this is the interpretation of Scripture and how it affects other portions of Scripture. There's a great difference between getting the character of God wrong, which is clearly expounded throughout all the Scripture, compared to that misunderstanding and or different interpretation of Christ's circumcision in Colossians chapter 2. Paul explains in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, I delivered to you a first importance. In Paul's mind, there's matters of importance. It's not saying those things are secondary or not important, but he said those things that are first important. He has some form of leveling system in his mind where he explained that the gospel is of first importance. Not to say there's no other important matters, but generally those First important matters is what the false teachers come in to distort, deny, or um, depart from. Again, it doesn't mean that there's not other important matters that we need to discuss and talk about. We have brothers and sisters in Christ as, as Baptists, and I think it would be false for us to then label them as false teachers because they don't interpret the Scripture as we do. Now, only one of us can be right when we get to heaven. We will understand. We'll either be former Baptists or former Presbyterians. But I don't think it's accurate for them to us to be walking around calling all Baptists false teachers. Because I think they do not deny, distort, or... Uh, or, or depart from that, that first essential gospel which is found. False teachers in the Bible are specifically those who distort, deny, or depart from the truth. They're described as those who are deceiving. They look like sheep, but are inwardly like wolves. They are discussed and, and talked about as vain talkers. So if their doctrine is talked about as twisting, distorting the truth, but also it's their character. How do we know a false teacher? Well, we need to know the truth. 
We need to know what the Bible actually teaches so we can pick up on what the false teaching is. The Bible explains that false teachers lead people astray. But we're also told that some people want to be led astray. Paul says to Timothy that some people have itchy ears. And they go and find the teachers they want to be able to listen to rather than those who actually teach the truth. We need to be careful to know what true teaching is to avoid false teaching. If you'd like a short book on the subject, I recommend a book called A Field Guide to False Teaching, which is published by Ligonier Ministries. It's a short little book that seeks to expand many of the false teaching that we find in this world today. But let's limit ourselves today to these six images that Jude paints for us of these false teachers. What images do, does Jude use to paint for us to be able to understand a little bit about this false teaching, particularly in the church that he's discussing here? And then what should we be looking out for? <clears throat> the first thing that Jude paints is that these false teachers are like hidden reefs. And through these hidden reefs, we find their false motives. Their false motives. Jude explains that these false teachers are like hidden reefs at your love feasts. The key part of this phrase is not the reef per se. The fact it is hidden. These hidden reefs are like rocks that just sit below the surface of the water. Everything looks calm and nice and pleasant on the surface. From the ship's perspective above the water, the, it's clear sailing. But just lying underneath is something that causes much and great damage. These small hidden reefs are able to sink a large boat. I doubt many accidents on the ocean actually occur with head-on collisions with other boats. I would assume that most of the accidents that happen in the ocean and on water actually happen from what's underneath the water that's what's not seen. And most likely, they're the most dangerous like icebergs that sink ships like that of the Titanic. Up to 90% of the iceberg is found underneath the water's surface. And that's what causes the most damage. And these false teachers are just that. Hidden. Hidden reefs. Right under the surface of the water. You have no idea they're there before it's too late. This is why Jude said before that they've crept in unnoticed. These false teachers are sitting there with a table at the fellowship luncheon. They have no fear. They know who they are. Peter says in a parallel passage in 2 Peter chapter 2, they counted a pleasure to revile in the daytime. There are blots and blemishes reviling in their deceptions while they feast with you. 
Here they are loving to play the part of the charade, loving to be the peak of the iceberg when underneath is all that does all the damage. They take this great joy in their deception or possibility even the outcome of their false teaching. They love the fame or the money. Here they have these false motives for teaching this false gospel. The second image that Jude paints for us is that of a consuming shepherd. They bear these false titles. These false titles. The next image of that of a shepherd. The image is quite different from the image that we would imagine. The image of a green pasture with a shepherd in the middle surrounded by relaxed sheep, by still waters, by green pastures. This image that he paints is not of calm and relaxed, but one where the the shepherd stands in the middle. Not in a field of green, but a field of red, with blood and guts. The shepherd bearing the blood and guts on himself, covered in blood. Not from a predator that he has been trying to protect the sheep from, but from himself. He has sought to be able to use these sheep to be able to feed himself. The image of that true shepherd is the good shepherd who loses their own life to be able to save his sheep. But here the false shepherd is that of rather, they would rather kill their sheep that they might be full. They would rather have the sheep die than themselves. I think uh, the horrific portion of this image is not only that of the false shepherd, but the victims that lie in their wake. That the sheep here are victims of greed. The one who is meant to take care of the sheep, to look after the flock, is the one who's doing them the most damage. And these false teachers with these false titles claiming to be God's leaders are hurting God's people. Like a doctor who bears the title of doctor, but instead of doing what their oath has said to be able to do no harm, they made this oath with their fingers crossed. They go out of their way to be able to deliberately do harm to those who they've called to be able to protect. Not merely just accidentally hurting someone, but deliberately going out of their way. And these false teachers, claiming to be shepherds, are not looking after the sheep. They feed their pride, their ego, their hungry plans, their financial portfolio and all other aspects. But at what expense? In this image, the sheep are the one that get the most hurt. They cause damage to their lives, but also their faith. False teaching has a dangerous effect. Not just on those who are teaching, on those who listen to this false teaching. I think many times you can talk with people who have grown up in the church who have had some form or sense where the gospel has not been taught to them truly. 
And they say, I'm leaving the faith, I'm leaving Christ, I'm leaving Christianity. And as they describe the image of what they understand Christianity and the church and, and what it is to be a Christian, I would say, I would be leaving that too. The bar is set way too high. It's impossible for anyone to be saved according to the law. There is no gospel in that. Or there is no good news in the gospel which says that there is no such thing as sin. They're false teaching. They're walking away from the false gospel. But in, in their minds, they're thinking they're walking away from the true gospel. There's a great danger in false teaching. The third image he paints for us is that of waterless clouds. And that of false promises. False promises. The image is a cloud that appears overhead. And what we get is that sense of excitement of rain. But it's short-lived. As the cloud is merely blown away. The cloud brings this reality of this promise of rain to be able to fall down. But it's gone within a moment. This image is helpful to us, but not as vital for us. We understand that rain comes and goes. We see that water is a necessity to be able to give life. However, this passage is not written as those who live in the mountains of Virginia. Even in a place like Australia, where water restrictions would come, where, when water reserves would go down to the nth degree, there's no sight of rain. Any sight of a cloud of rain would bring hope and joy. But even this time is not that of Australia going through a drought. This is during the, in the Middle East. One of the driest regions of the world, Thomas Schreiner explains, it is like this. The idea is that the, the opponents were like clouds that hover overhead with the prospect of rain, then are blown away without providing any water. This is exactly what the false teachers promised to slake the thirst of those who heard them, but left them parched. This is exactly what Satan does. He promises the best, but pays the worst. It is exactly what the point which the author of Proverbs states. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift who does not give. Here these false teachers are promising these gifts, these abilities, these promises, but yet when it comes to payday, your check bounces. This is the outcome of false teaching. It's exactly that. It's false. In the end, there is nothing they have. Every word that comes from their lips is a lie. It's pointless. Again, think about what Paul said to Timothy of those people that seek out those false teachers with their itching ears to be able to suit their own passions. The teaching is false, then the promises of the teaching are also false as well. They're like waterless clouds. The next image he paints for us is that of a fruitless tree. 
they bear false fruit. This fruitless tree in late autumn. After a season where the tree is meant to have produced fruit, the tree is empty and bare. There's no sign of any fruit. And the leaders, when it comes down to it, have no fruit in their ministry. Often they will display and boast of their fruit. They will put forward this fruit which seems apparent. The numbers in their churches, the books that they have written, the things that they have seen or the things that they have, the stories they can tell. But Jude actually says that these false teachers with his false fruit or that of twice dead. A true believer is twice born, but here he says that a false teacher is twice dead. Dead in their sins, dead in their final day of judgment. We need to be careful about what we actually see and display. The fruit, that external fruit, often is not what is the most measurable. When it comes to Christian maturity, often the things that are displayed are not that of high importance. Christian character, the Christian's heart, the Christian's faithfulness. We see the image of that of a fruitful tree as common throughout that of a true believer. That blessed man who dwells by the Dreams of living water. who yields its fruit in its season. I think Jude is referring to what his half-brother Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 or Luke chapter 6. It says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or Figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every time that every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. Now a leader will never be perfect. It will always be sinful on this side of heaven. However, I think you can say the leader will always be faithful and fruitful as far as they can. Leaders should be known for their godly character, their godly heart, their godly fruit in their lives. If I'm honest, this is the one that has always been a challenge for me. I can always think of more things that I could do or more things that I should not be doing. That's where the hope of the Gospel is found. The hope of the Gospel is found that as we abide in Christ, Christ is the the vine and we are merely the branches. As we abide in Christ and Christ in me, that fruit will come forth as I am united to Christ. My prayer is that I would be like that tree planted by the streams of living water bearing its fruit in its season. fifth image that Jude paints for us is that of wild waves and their false works. 
fruitless trees show their lack of fruit, but this image now shows the opposite of their wicked works. The focus is not merely on the waves, but really on the foam that the waves lead behind. Jude, I think, here is referring to Isaiah chapter 57, which says, But the wicked are like a tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up the mire and dirt. You ever seen the effects of a hurricane? It's, it's often that they bring in from the ocean's floor such the trash and debris. And the foam here in this image are their wicked deeds which they perform. The false teaching shows forwards their false works. The false teachers leave trash in their wake. One commentator points out, instead of edifying other Christians, It soils them like the dirt thrown up by a stormy sea. Cities that were once booming centers of industrial growth, but now is left in its ruin and poverty. This is the truth of these false teachers. The sheep have have not devoured, they are left in terrible damage. The effect of false teaching is not just seen while they're teaching falsely. It's also left after they leave. I think you see this in lots of aspects of the church. I think you see it in the burnt over district from Charles Finley. As I've said before, false gospel is no gospel at all. It distorts the gospel, denies the realities of the gospel, it deserts the gospel altogether. And in the end, you don't have the good news of Jesus. You get this fake news from these false teachers. What is left behind is like this trash from a horrible storm. The last image that he paints is that of a wandering star, that of false direction. Now this can have various interpretation. Stars can be referred to as fallen angels. Might be a reference to verse 6. See that this has similar terms of that gloomy darkness. If that's the interpretation, then the focus is on the false teachers and rejecting God's ordained authority. However, I think the second interpretation focuses on verse 11 and that of Balaam's error which speaks of the same word, plan. And Jude uses a similar word to speak of that wandering, plantes. If this is the case, then the focus is not so much on the false teachers, but what they are then doing. Mainly leading people astray, and that's one of the distinctives of a false teaching. You're leading people away from the true gospel. Just as Balaam led the Israelites into the path down of sexual immorality, the wandering stars lead people astray. Is one key aspect of false teaching. What it does is it seeks to be able to cause people to sin. This is why James warns his readers, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. 
First Paul writes to Timothy, a young pastor, he says that certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, deserting, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they are making confident assertions. The role of the truth teacher is to proclaim what God says in His Word. No more and no less. The role of a teacher is to point people to Christ, not down these wandering stars and myths and genealogies. Not falsehood. And Jude speaks of these stricter judgment that, as his brother James said, they have a place with their name on it in utter darkness. As you read through passages like this, you might feel that sense of utter darkness yourself. What then is our hope? False teaching will lead us astray. But Jude, very specifically in this passage, speaks not just of the false teaching, he also speaks of the true gospel. That faith that has been delivered to all the saints. Not these false teaching with false motives, titles, hopes, fruit, works, and direction. But this true gospel which is found in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Master. It's found in the true gospel of grace. Not in some distorted or perverted sense of this grace which leads to sensuality. Paul likes to call it the truth of the gospel of the hope which we have only through this true gospel. He writes in Ephesians chapter 1, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. We need to know what this false teaching and the false motives and the titles and all the things that are told, but we need to first and forth understand the true gospel. The hope that is found in that. There is no false motives. There is no false titles. There is no false uh, methods or fruit or works or direction. It is all focused on Christ. Did you hear the word of truth? The gospel of your salvation. What is the gospel of your salvation? You believed in Him. United to Christ. There's only true blessing that flows from that true gospel. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Faithful Father, we give You thanks that in Your Word that we not only see and read about the true gospel which we find, but also we learn of that, of the ways of the world, the ways of Satan. How they often seek to be able to lead us astray. Lord, help us to be able to see these false ways that are ever before us. Help us to be able to cling to that glorious word of truth, the hope of our salvation, as we believe in Christ, as we have the seal and guarantee of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that we would seek to be able to 
fall more in love with this true gospel. We'd know any distortion, any that seek to be able to deny it, or depart from it altogether. We pray in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.